Genesis chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now 40 days were required for it. For such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. When the days of mourning for him were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father had made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave, which I dug from myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please, let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, and the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. They left only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds in the land of Goshen. They also went up with him, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they had come to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days mourning for his father. Now the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, it is named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave that filleth Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt. He and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Rephim's sons, also the sons of Merkur, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. 
But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Father, as we continue to worship you, and now we come to the living and active word of God, we pray that you would use your powerful word to do your work in our hearts. Give me the grace to preach, Lord, the way that you want me to, and give us all grace to listen with our heart, that we can be men and women that do your word. We praise you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Let me just do one thing here. Yeah, right. Have you ever heard that slang before? When I was growing up, I think we used to say that all the time. Yeah, right. And it's a, though I, I don't recommend it to my son, we should not say that to our parents, but I, I used to say that all the time. And it's basically a sarcastic way to say, that is so incredible, it's beyond belief. That, that, that's impossible for that to happen. Yeah, right. And in a, a true sense, I think, when I read Genesis chapter 50, one of my first responses was, yeah, right. Not in a truly sarcastic way, but in a way of astonishment of the very nature of of God and sin and forgiveness and his sovereignty. There are notes on your right, my left, and a counter. The title of this sermon is, Yeah, Right, the True Story of the Incredible Goodness of God. That is, that there's a sense when we look at Genesis 50 and we see how good and kind and loving and gracious God's providence is, there is almost within my heart the sense of, can it be that God is so good, that, that God is so gracious in his sovereignty? And I, I think we'll see this as we go through this passage. Can God truly be this good to me, the sinner? And the truth is, he can but God demonstrates his love toward us, where yet we were sinners. Christ died for us. And here in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 50, we see the grace and the goodness of God even in this chapter. So I desire to express the, the main theme, the main point of the next couple sermons this way. God's sovereignty empowers you and I to overcome fear asking for forgiveness, forgiving, and going forward. Genesis chapter 50 primarily 
is not about the sovereignty of God. We often have heard, probably you have, I've quoted it many times, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Have referred to that many times about the sovereignty of God, and it is about the sovereignty of God, but in context, it's about the sovereignty of God involving forgiveness and fear. That's the immediate context. Certainly there's a larger context from chapters 36, 37 to 50, but there is right in this, in this passage, the brothers of Joseph are afraid because they believe that it's possible that they could be in a lot of trouble. And so how God, through Joseph, communicates to them is that because God is sovereign, I, I forgive you, and you shouldn't be afraid. That is, primarily this chapter is, since God is good in his sovereignty, that empowers us not to be afraid, so we can forgive and ask for forgiveness and go forward in life. And that's mainly what we're going to look at at this passage. And this morning we'll cover... By God's grace, we'll, we'll seek to cover, since God is sovereign over all things, and he's good in that sovereignty. Therefore, we can ask for forgiveness, we can forgive and not be afraid. Now, when you look at this passage, the first thing that we see is that there are 14 verses about the burial, about the funeral sermon, uh, funeral ceremony about the memorial of Jacob. And this is really the setting. This morning we're going to look at verses 15 to 21 and we'll expound those. But before this section gets to verse 15, it talks about how Joseph and his brothers reacted and all that they did for the death of their father. Jacob, who was called Israel. And so we have to ask, why is this here? Right? When you look at verses 15 to 21, they are pretty powerful. They're, they're pretty amazing verses. It talks about fear. It talks about how they approach Joseph. We are the servants of God. The God of your father. They don't approach Joseph themselves. They send these messengers. There's a lot of drama, in other words, in verses 15 to 21 about forgiveness, about fear, about asking, being forgiven, about God's mysterious sovereignty. But before all that, it talks about how somebody died and they go through a lot just to get him buried. Look at this text. There is so much that is here. It talks about that they embalmed his father. And that would take about 40 days. And they, they wept for him for 70 days. So 70 days, that's two months. And then about a week and a half. And then even when they go on this big, long journey, it says further on down in the passage 
and verse 10 that they observed seven days mourning their father as they went across the Jordan. So it's almost three months, about two months and three weeks of not, not just being sorrowful, but an official type of mourning service. You know, they, they are really sorrowful, so sorrowful that the, the Canaanites and others that are in the land of Canaan are really astonished and amazed that these Egyptians are really sorrowful. Somebody very, 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 very important must have died. And even when you read the passage, you can look at verse 7. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine this? My mom died uh, maybe 16 years ago. And she died, and she's with Jesus, she's with the Lord. And she died in Orlando, and she had left in her will that she wanted to be buried in Georgia and South Georgia. Well, that's about six hours away. So that's not something I really wanted to do. So we had a memorial service in Orlando that I performed and I preached. And, you know, everybody wept and cried and it was very sorrowful. But then I was hoping that that that, that would be it. But then we also drove then six hours and did another funeral service. And then memorial service. And then everybody cried and wept again. And then by accident, my dad and uncles, they had her buried, her bones buried in the wrong plot. I kind of laughed about it, which my relatives didn't like. They, they were very sorrowful. But that was a very big ordeal to arrange this really hearse right, to drive six, I think it was about $2,000, if I remember right, something like that, to just get her corpse, she's of Jesus in heaven, alive, but the the corpse was taken to South Georgia. It was a very big ordeal. Well, you know, I praise God for my mom, she taught me about Jesus, but that's nothing compared to what happens to Jacob's corpse. Right, it, it takes forty days to embalm him. All of Egypt is is weeping over him. All of the leaders of Egypt go with him in chariots, and it's this big entourage, almost like an army. It's huge. Why? Because it wasn't Jacob that saved Israel; it was Joseph. But the dad of Joseph is Jacob. And Jacob learned about Yahweh from, sorry, Joseph learned about Yahweh from his father, from Jacob. And there's a tremendous amount of respect that they're paying to this man of God. It's huge. Incredibly significant for that whole land. That this godly man, this servant of God, has passed away. And all that, I believe, the Lord is setting up what's to come. There's a big, huge, basically, funeral service that lasts almost, for almost three months. All together, with everything. They finally get Jacob's body buried. They come back home. 
And these brothers, the first thing then that comes into their mind is what? There's this big, 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 big hoopla, this big ordeal, this big sorrowful service for about three months about Jacob. Now he's gone. And their first thought is, "Uh uh-oh. The one that was protecting us has passed away. Now what's going to happen? See all the power that Joseph had? He got Pharaoh to send this huge group of people, probably hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people and chariots. Joseph was able to organize and get that all going for our dad. Now the one that was protecting us has passed away. He's dead. We're in big trouble. They are really concerned. And that's why even in this text, when you read here, Joseph tells them not to be afraid. You can see that. He says, don't be afraid in verse 19. And then also in verse 21. So therefore, do not be afraid. They were concerned for themselves and for their families. So this text is not some abstract chapter and a book about the sovereignty of God. This is a very practical text where these brothers are concerned that Joseph's going to get revenge because they're guilty of great sin and they could be rightfully executed by Joseph for what they did, by Egyptian law. And so it's in that setting then that we come to this, yeah, right, how that God can be this good and gracious to people that do evil. That is, that's almost too hard to believe. And that is the message that God, through Joseph, is going to teach these men that were patriarchs of Israel, but but they really weren't that good. Judah had a change, and Judah, I think, was growing in the Lord. But as we saw, the others were, you know, they had a long ways to go. Yet God is going to be gracious to them. So first, I want us to consider this. Since God is sovereign... Ask for forgiveness sooner than later. Since God is sovereign, since God is in control of all things, he's in control of Egypt, Pharaoh, Joseph, Jacob, since God rules over all things, it's wise when you sin to ask for forgiveness sooner than later. If you look at the text, you can see they send a messenger to him, They don't approach him himself first. They send a message. Eventually they come to him and they bow before him. But if you look at verse 17, it says, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I think probably, though the text doesn't say specifically, I think probably he was weeping because he's probably thinking, (laughs) how long had it been, 17 years or so? Finally, it's taking 17 years. Years ago and years ago and years ago at a place where I worked at, almost 20 years ago, 
this person was rude to me and they said some mean things to me. And then about maybe two years later, they came to me humbly and said, Tom, I, I sinned against you two years ago. Would you please forgive me? And my response was not, what took you so long? <laughs> Gosh! No, it was, yes, of course. You know, and, and my eyes got watery. And I think that this at least is why, why Joseph was weeping. More than that, <laughs> of course. But I, I think he's weeping. There's this joyful sorrow that he's concerned about more things. But I think also, yes, you know, finally they're seeking forgiveness. I think also he could be weeping because certainly they're gripped by fear. As we saw in verse 19 and verse 21, because they haven't dealt with their sin, not truly dealing with their sin, that they're afraid that Joseph might deal with their sin. So their sin is causing them, their unconfessed, undealt with sin, it's causing them to be very afraid. So then we can say this, you and I need to be careful that we don't live in guilty fear. This should be, this should be a motivation for us to confess our sin, certainly to God, but even to the one that we sin against sooner rather than later. Guilt. You can see this in the passive, in the, in the passage, Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, their immediate response is, verse 15, Joseph is going to bear a grudge. If he has this grudge, he's going to pay his back in full. <laughs> you know, he could throw us into a dungeon for a long time, at least. And then they devise this this plan, you know, guilt can lead to assuming the worst. Guilt over sin can lead to devising some kind of plan to get out of it. When all along, they could have come to Joseph and just said, look, we blew it. It was terrible. It was wrong. Please forgive us. It, it took them at least 17 years to say this word, please forgive. 17 years to say, please forgive. And they were living with the guilt of that for so long. You might remember when they first saw Joseph. And even before they saw Joseph, but Joseph was talking to them, was talking to them about their youngest brother. Even then, their minds were turning and their heart was convicted. I think we all know what it's like. Even if you're a young child, when you're guilty of sin and you don't deal with it and you don't confess it and you hide it and you feel guilty, does that guilt bless you? Does that guilt do good things to you? Even in terms of your health, it won't. <laughs> even, even in terms of health, it won't go well. They do here confess, if you look in verse 17... And they're saying that your brothers sinned and they did wrong. At least they're confessing that, seeking to do that. But it would have been much 
better if they would have done this sooner. 17 years. You and I have to ask the question, why would we allow 17 years to go by, or 17 months, or 17 minutes? You don't have to live in a state of guilt. You can go to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. You can go to that person you sinned against and say, Lord, please forgive me. It it was wrong. This passage goes further. We can say, not not only don't live in this state of guilty fear, which these brothers did, and that guilt makes you afraid, it makes you assume things, it can lead you to devise uh, ways either to get out of it or go around it or kind of to massage things. It's better just to deal with the guilty sin and to do it as soon as possible. ASAP, do it soon. Again, praise God, they're doing it. So I would say it this way. It's better to deal with your sin, confess it to God and the person you sinned against, even if it takes 20 years, rather than never doing it. Better to confess your sin to God and that other person right after you do it. Don't wait one second or one month or one year or 10 years, but better eventually to deal with it than never deal with it. So on your deathbed, you're not afraid. Better to deal with your sin now so that before you die, you're not afraid to meet God. Deal with it as soon as possible. If you're bleeding, if you've cut yourself, you put a patch on it. You you put a band-aid on it. You, you stopped up bleeding. I have a friend that was a contractor in Iraq during the war there, and there was a is it called an EDI? What's it called? Yes, this is improvised explosive device. And it exploded. It killed one man and the troop. He survived. But his, his ankle was really hurting and it was bleeding. And he looked down and there was a nail in his ankle. This explosive device was filled with nails. So he, he took it out. He was like, oh, it's not that bad. So he just got a bandage, wrapped it up, and kept going. Then later that night, he began to get a fever. He began to get dizzy. began to throw up. So he went to the medic and described his symptoms and what had happened. And the medic said, you know, you're, you're very dumb. You should have come for medical treatment immediately because what the enemy does is they dip those nails in rat poisoning. So you've got rat poisoning now in your system. And you thought you could just tough it out. And, you know, he had to have injections and other things to counteract that rat poisoning. He had to do it for a long time. If he would have gone and seen the medic as soon as that happened, then he wouldn't have gone through such an ordeal that he had to go through with being poisoned by rat poisoning. When we sin and we don't confess our sin and we don't deal with it, it is like a poison that is within our system. I'm not just saying this. This is what myself, I'm not making this up. This is what David said. And David 
committed adultery and murder. And in a sense, he was a mass murderer because he didn't just kill Uriah. He killed Uriah and Uriah's friends. And he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Have you ever been there? I've been there when I don't deal with my sin, when I don't confess it spiritually and physically. I I can feel terrible. Then verse 5, acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Praise God for that forgiveness that we have in Christ. In Him, we have forgiveness through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His great grace, which He's lavished upon us. And so as we look at this, we're seeing, first of all, that this passage, which is about God being sovereign, because God is sovereign, then we should ask for forgiveness. And we're going to see how God being sovereign and forgiveness ties in and a little bit later, but it does all tie together here. We don't live in godly fear like we should. If we live in godly fear, then we're not going to live in guilty fear. We should confess our sins as soon as possible. But also, we should do it because we sinned against God and one another. We sinned against God and one another. Look here at verse 17. Thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Now they may be a little bit kind of massaging, you know, like we are the servants of God. But at the same time, I think also they are saying we've committed sin and we're the special anointed people of God, and yet we still blew it. Please forgive us, Joseph. So again, at least they're doing it, and they're not giving the the best example of how to do it, right? Because it says they sent him a message, verse 16. But at least they are saying these words, verse 17, please forgive sin, Wrong transgressions. It was against God and it was against you. You know, sometimes when we sin, we can say words like, I apologize, which is not bad, or I'm sorry, which is not bad, but sin and guilt go beyond those words to the word forgive. Please forgive me. It's great to have sorrow. But sorrow should lead to what? Second Corinthians 7. Repentance. You know, there's a difference between saying, look, I, I made a mistake, then I sinned. <laughs> That's a difference. There's a difference between saying, I apologize. It's not bad to say I apologize or I'm sorry, but saying, I was wrong, I sinned, please forgive me. It's more specific. It, it narrows in on what the issue really is. And so they are, in their own way, though it's not perfect, they're seeking to get right with Joseph. 
perhaps they, they don't have the, the best motivation, perhaps, but at least they're trying to get right with God and Joseph. At least to a degree, it seems, they can be seeking to get right with God, but maybe not fully, because you can look at verse 19. Joseph says to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? I think Joseph is understanding that these brothers of mine, they don't yet have a fully biblical, robust view of Yahweh, of of God. Because they're afraid not of God's sovereignty, they're afraid of whose sovereignty? Joseph's. If they were afraid of God's sovereignty, then they would have got right with God and with Joseph a long time ago. They're more afraid of Joseph's power than God's power. They're more afraid of Joseph's presence than God's presence. There is this little bit, I think, of we got to be careful. You know, we want to get right with God, but even more so with Joseph. And so we need to be sure, yes, that we're going to move to get right with people, but ultimately with God. And we all know Psalm 51.4 where David says, when he's confessing his sin to God about Uriah and Bathsheba, he says in Psalm 51, 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. It would have been great if the brothers of Joseph would have said this. At least they're doing something. <laughs> There's a lot of room to to grow. When we seek to get right, we want to seek to get right with God and with others. But also, as we press into this a little bit more, and we have mentioned this, but you can see that at least they are being somewhat specific. Again, it isn't the best picture of forgiveness, but at least they're doing something, and at least they're saying that they were wrong, (laughs) right? So if you look at verse 17, they say, forgive us, forgive us. And they say, we sinned and we did wrong. So they use two different Hebrew words here for sin. One is transgression, and the other one is basically missing the the mark. So they're saying we rebelled against God and a standard that God had set, we missed. We stepped over the line, and then we didn't even try to reach the line. They're saying... and. In many different ways, Joseph, we sinned against you. They're being at least specific. So we praise God for that, that they're seeking to be clear to a large degree of, of what they did. I'm reminded of first John one seven. 1 John 1, 7. Where the end of it says, And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you look at verse 9, where it says, If we confess our sins, the word confess is from the Greek word homo legomen, which is basically say the same thing. We're going to say the same thing that God says about our sin. 
And at least here, their brothers of Joseph are seeking to do that to some degree. They're calling it like God calls it. And I would say this, though there is a time and place for this, it's not that that Joseph, at least we don't see an indication, and I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying what this passage says. And this passive passage, it's not that Joseph writes them a letter and says, you sinned against me. You need to repent. You cockroaches, what you did was so vile, and it's in my power to send you to the dungeon unless you repent. You're going to go to hell. Joseph doesn't do that. I'm not saying there's never a time to confront and rebuke somebody. But here in this passage, Joseph, at least at least he's had an attitude of what? Forgiveness. And we can talk about this, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a moment, but even if somebody doesn't come to us and say, please forgive me, that was wrong, can we still forgive them? Yes. Christ said, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Maybe there's not going to be full reconciliation, but on our part, we can forgive them and not have bitterness and malice against them. And so Joseph obviously doesn't have bitterness and malice against them. He weeps for them. He's weeping. Now, that does lead us into this next point underneath, ask for forgiveness. If we're asking for forgiveness, then we should also be forgiving. That God is absolutely sovereign over all things. That he's the one that has the power should lead us to forgive. He, he's the one that we've sinned against, and so we should be afraid of God and then have more courage to ask others for forgiveness. But since God is the one that's in charge, we should all be, we should also be more free and ready to forgive since God is sovereign and, and control of all things. And when you look at this passage here, Joseph Maybe he needs to go to school on forgiveness. If I was going to write a book on forgiveness, maybe I would critique Joseph and don't, because he doesn't say, I forgive you. Have you ever asked somebody for forgiveness and they not say, I forgive you? I've asked some, I've asked people for forgiveness and unless I hear that magical word, I don't like it. What word do you want to hear when you ask somebody to forgive you? You want to hear, I forgive you. So, I'm just trying to exposit the passage. Here are these brothers, these guilty brothers, ask Joseph, please forgive us. When you read this passage, does he say, I forgive you? <laughs> he doesn't. So that kind of blows my paradigm. You know, I, I want... When I ask for forgiveness, I almost demand that other person to say to me, I forgive you. And if they don't say those words, then then I'll, I'll get better. <laughs> then I can forgive them. Because you don't forgive me the exact way I asked you to forgive me. You have to say, I forgive you. Joseph doesn't do that. But when you look at this passage, he takes the opportunity to preach God to them. He preaches the, the doctrine of God to them, God's sovereignty and God's goodness, 
And he says in verse 19, basically, don't be afraid. I ain't your judge. I ain't God. <laughs> I'm not God. I, I, I'm not your judge. I'm not your Lord. That's not my role. But then if you look at verse 21, he says, so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That is forgiveness. So what I see in this passage is this text is emphasizing Joseph had forgiving them already and is forgiving them and demonstrates it by how he communicates to them, how he loves them and loves their family. Think about it. How many times have, has somebody sinned against you and they come to you and they say, please forgive me. And you say, I forgive you. And then you give them the cold shoulder. You didn't really forgive them. You just didn't want all the problems that go with a long conversation. So instead you said, yes, I forgive you. But you didn't really forgive them. Not really. You just gave lip service. So here you have Joseph that doesn't necessarily, from what the text says, say, I forgive you. But certainly he has and he is forgiving them and he demonstrates it. Says he spoke kindly to them. Maybe he said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. But the text doesn't emphasize that. The text is emphasizing how he treats them. Certainly we can say, I forgive you. And I think it's good to say that. But it's not good to say, I forgive you, and then not treat them with kindness and grace. Forgiving is that you're not going to be bitter, resentful, or malicious toward them, but good toward the other person. Because God's the one that's in control. Because God is the sovereign judge. Then we let God take care of that situation. We forgive them. We seek to be kind and loving toward them. And we see this certainly in the New Testament. And we have covered this in the past. Just as a reminder, Ephesians 4 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. If you and I can't forgive, then we have an issue with God the Father and with God the Son. If I can't forgive somebody that sins against me, if I can't forgive Lisa or my kids or you that might sin against me, then my issue is not with you. My foundational issue is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that Jesus, your work on the cross wasn't great enough to cover that person's sin. And that's blasphemy. That's, that's horrible. So what... What this passage is communicating to you and to I, first of all, is because God is sovereign, because God is the one that's the judge, he's in control of all things, we can ask for forgiveness. We should do it soon. We should be specific. And if somebody comes to us and says, please forgive me, we say, yes, I forgive you. Certainly we can say those words. But even with those words, even more important is not just, yes, I forgive you, but yes, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to love you. I'll be gracious and kind and compassionate to you. Now, just a, a few questions. Do you need to ask for forgiveness? I think many of us 
You could probably ask for forgiveness. I'm certain we, we can in some areas. Who do you need to forgive? Will you forgive them? If not, again, your issue is with God, not that person. If you fear God, you will ask for forgiveness. If you fear God, you will forgive. If you don't fear God, you won't ask for forgiveness and you won't give it. If you have the right view of God and Jesus Christ, you will forgive. If you have a low view of Jesus, then it'll be very hard for you to forgive. And this is the way the book of Genesis is ending. The book of Genesis is a type of pastoral epistle, but it's with narrative. Now then, second, fight fear with God's divine providence. So we said first that because God is sovereign, then we should ask for forgiveness and forgive. Because God is sovereign, we can also fight fear. Whatever we're afraid of. Here, these brothers are thinking wrongly that Joseph is going to get revenge on them. And so they don't have godly fear, they have guilty fear. But when we have a right view of God's sovereignty, then we can decide against ungodly fear. And we see this in the text. You can see it again in verse 21. So therefore, don't be afraid. And he says that right before he talks about God's providence in verse 20. And in verse 19, he says, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am God's place. And then he talks to them about God's sovereignty. This is a fear of God, ungodly fear, sovereignty of God sandwich. Verse 20 is the sovereignty of God. The two slices of bread are 19 and 21, which say, don't be afraid. Why shouldn't you be afraid? Because God is sovereign. Again, if you have the wrong view of God, then when you hear God is in control of everything, if you have a wrong view of God, that might make you really afraid. (laughs) If you have a right view of God, then when you hear God's in control of all things, then that can take away fear. You know in the Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 27, if maybe even Psalm 18, if God is for me, who can be against me? But if you have the wrong view of God, you could say it this way, if God is against me, who can be? Maybe you have a wrong view of God because you're not saved. Maybe you need to come to Christ even this morning. Maybe you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Maybe you need to run to Jesus Christ this morning. And as Psalm 2 says, take refuge in him. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So first, when we talk about fear, we have to be sure that we fear God in a right way and not have this ungodly fear. We, we need to have more awe and alarm over God, who he is in Christ, than awe and alarm over other people and all the different events of the world. But this leads us then to trust God's sovereignty. This leads us to trust the sovereignty of God. And you can look at this passage. Look at verse verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You can look at the words, you meant it against me for evil, but God meant it for good. He has purpose in order to bring about, you can see the action to bring about and to preserve all these action words of God really being in control. It's Yahweh that is is working here. And I don't think, if you look at verse 20, this is nothing that is brand new for the brothers of Joseph, right? Do you think, or should we think that this is the first time the brothers of Joseph are hearing about the sovereignty of God? No, of course not. I think Jacob had taught had taught them. They have seen what happened of Joseph, their brother, already. I think they had many lessons, orally and visibly, that God was absolutely sovereign and in control of all things. They knew who El Shaddai was. They knew who Yahweh was. I think Jacob had taught them. Maybe even their grandfather, Isaac, had taught them. So here... Joseph is not just trying to get them to acknowledge that God is sovereign, but rather even to trust that God is sovereign. It's not just that he's trying to get them to acknowledge it, but even to shepherd them so that they will trust that truth that God is sovereign. And that's a big difference between acknowledging that God is sovereign and adoring that God is sovereign. There's a difference between being educated on God's sovereignty and acquiescing to the sovereignty of God over all things. And that's what Joseph is seeking to get them to do. Even if their words, you meant this for evil, but God turned it around and meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. God had good intentions with your evil intention. Also, what we see in this passage is this understanding of depravity, of the sinfulness of sin. As for you, you meant evil against me. Now see, Joseph is not pulling... Any punches. Sometimes when uh, somebody has come to me and, and they have asked me to forgive them, or I'll say it this way, if I'm asking for forgiveness and somebody might say, I forgive you for your sin. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't like to hear those words. Do, do you like to hear those words? If you ask somebody, I sinned, would you please forgive me? I forgive you for what for that evil that you did to me. Would you like to hear that? That'd be hard to hear. But Joseph is not mincing words with them, and he's telling them, what you did was evil. You meant it for evil. You're my brothers of faith and of flesh, and you purposely did evil. I would say most of my sin is not by accident. <laughs> most of my sin is that I am... Maybe when I was younger, there were some things I did that I, I didn't know, I didn't understand. But now, at, at this age, when I sin, it's purposeful. It's a transgression. Rebellion. 
And even for the believer, though sin doesn't reign, sin does what? It remains. That's why you have Romans 7, where Paul says, that which I want to do, I don't do. That that I want to do, I don't do. That's why you have 1 John chapter 1. What says if you say basically, if, if you say that you're not a sinner, then you're calling God a liar. We all sin. As believers, by God's grace, hopefully it's getting less, and we're not depraved in a sense of an unbeliever like in Romans 1. No. Because we're new creatures in Christ. We've been regenerated. But there still is the sin principle power that remains within us that can lead us to do terrible things. It's true. That's why you have the New Testament, right? If you read Galatians and Paul's epistles, they deal with who? Unbelievers are are believers mostly. Believers. So 1 Corinthians is primarily written to believers. Galatians primarily is written to believers, right? right? The, the epistles are primarily, they're like in Philippians, it says to the saints. Even to the Corinthians, it says to the saints. Ephesians, it says to the saints. They're written to Christians. But Christians have a problem with sin. Do you have a problem of sin? If you say you don't have a problem of sin, then you probably have the most problems of sin. We all have problems of sin. The reason why I'm saying this is because, and I've told you this before, years ago, and it wasn't with Lisa, but it was this other lady. Years ago, nobody here, like, I don't know, 20 years ago. I, I, I won't share all the details, but I sinned against this this young lady, and she was, I can't believe you sinned against me. I can't believe you said that. And my response was basically, I've already sinned against you many times. Do you, do you think that was the first time? We were team members for a, a mission work. I, I, I've sinned against many co-workers. <laughs> In fact, I've sinned against every co-worker. <laughs> Probably many times. I'm sure many times. And some of you are married, and sometimes we can have almost like this, I, I, I can't believe my wife did this. I can't believe my husband did this. I can't believe my kids do this. Seriously. You also are a sinner. I can't believe that you would not believe that your husband or your wife or your kids are, are sinful. That's what this passage is saying. People can do evil things. Believers can be sinful. That's what this passage is saying. We don't make excuses for it. We don't want to lower our expectation. But the reality is, is that you and I, we're not glorified yet. It's a fight. It's a struggle. All of us sin. You do, I do. That's why we need a a Savior. And so there is this understanding here that Joseph is seeking to help his brothers with and help us that, yeah, we, we do some evil things. And it's not good. 
But then the, the next point is this. Who is it that Joseph then is talking to in this passage about the next part of verse 20? Look at verse 20. God meant it. You did this evil thing. We're all evil. We, we do bad things. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Who is Joseph talking to? This is where the goodness of God's sovereignty comes in. Who is Joseph talking to? That is, you know, as, as a pastor, you too, as a parent, as a friend, you have people that come to you that have been abused, victimized, mistreated, sinned against, and sometimes you'll say to them, Romans 8.28, right? God causes all things to work together for good, and those are called according to his purpose. So somebody comes to you, they're having a difficult time, they've been sinned against, life's not going well for them. You you give to them Romans 8.28. That's a good verse to give them. You You should give them that. This passage is a little bit different. Because here, it isn't that Joseph goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, here's what happened. And Jacob pats Joseph on the head, my son. God causes all things to work together for good. It's going to be okay. That's not what happens. Joseph, the victim, is talking to who? The victimizers. The one that was abused is talking to the abusers about the goodness of God. It'd be like if somebody tortured me and then I told them, you know what? The Bible says that God is so good that evil that you meant for me, he's actually going to take that evil that you meant for me and he's going to bless you and me. That's what Joseph is doing here. That's what God through Joseph is doing. That is, God is so gracious and God is so good in his sovereignty. Even that person or people that abuse you, whether it's words, whether it's physical, whatever it is, God can bless you through it and God can even bless them through their evil. That's what this passage is saying. And the question is, how does that make you respond? Are you like, what? God is going to be so gracious and kind even to people that were mean to me? Remember, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We all deserve the wrath of God. Nobody here is outside of deserving God's wrath. We hide in Christ. But this passage is so amazing and God is being so gracious that even when people are evil, God is so gracious and kind that he can forgive them and use that sin that they evilly did to bless others and even to bless them. Well, in what way? Well, because of all that happened of Joseph and his brothers, the whole nation of Israel was able to survive in Egypt and then eventually from Israel through the tribe of Judah through David's family came the Messiah. So the evil 
that Jacob's children did, God used ultimately to bring forth the Messiah. That's what this passage is saying. That's how gracious, kind, and sovereign God is. That doesn't leave us off the hook for our sin. God's a holy God, and by no means where he let the guilty go unpunished. But I wonder how many of you here that are sitting here this morning, you're thinking in your own mind about the sins that you've committed. And maybe you're thinking that's going to ruin everything. And there is no more hope for me. Everything is dark, and everything is in despair. And you put on a face, maybe for everybody here, maybe for your family, but in your mind and your heart, you are just like eating dirt because you're so overcome with the guilt of your sin. Well, as hobbler as you as your sin is, this passage is saying. God can forgive you. If you come to Christ, he will forgive you. And he can take that sin that you committed that was there was evil. And he ultimately can use it for something that is incredibly out of this world good. That's not what I'm saying. That's what this passage is saying. And that's what the victim is saying to the people that abused him. He was a child. They trafficked him. They were guilty of great sin. They tortured him. And he says to them, that evil thing that you did to me, God is bigger than you, and he's bigger than the evil that you did. God's goodness is better than Satan's evil. And through that, God's going to bless you. That is an amazing God. That's an amazing God. And because of that truth, that's why we have the Messiah, Jesus. And so this would call for us to have this worship, this, this praise, but also in life to, to keep going forward, which we'll see next week is what the brothers do. We go forward, not because our sin is not horrible, but because God's grace and Christ is even brighter and more marvelous than my heinous sin, right? Where our sin increases, God's grace increases even more. Father, we give you praise for this wonderful passage. And Lord, we're just getting into it a little bit. We'll get into it more even next week, Lord. But we thank you for this wonderful grace, Lord. We are guilty sinners. Lord, I I am. I was a child of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, great in love, through his grace, made me alive in Christ. And even as a believer, I, I still sin. But your grace is stronger. Lord, those that are here this morning and may feel hopeless by the weight of their sin, may they find relief and refuge, not in their goodness, but in the goodness of the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We praise you and we give you thanks, Jesus. Amen.